I'm sticking it to you today, uh, a talk that I did during the summer at a Christian festival called New Wine. And I found it a little bit weird, basically, that I'd spoken this out, uh, so some people have heard it, but that I'd spoken it during the summer, but I hadn't actually spoken it at home, because usually it happens the other way around. I kind of test drive things at G2, I, and I kind of learn what I learn about church and following Jesus through this family community. And then if I'm asked to speak somewhere else, I just basically take what's going on here and tell other people. But I didn't get the chance to do that with this. And it felt a little bit weird that I hadn't talked about mission and discipleship here in a while. So I thought I'd bring it back. So apologies if you've heard uh, a similar talk during the summer. There's about four of you that have. Um, You'll be fine. The Lord will speak to you in a different way because that's just how he rolls. So I'm going to read to you from Mark chapter 1. You can find it in your Bibles, but it will also be on the screen in a little bit. But listen to this story, and I wonder whether this will be familiar to you. This is Mark chapter 1, verse 16 to 20, and it's called, Jesus Calls His First Disciples. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he'd gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Hands up, who's heard that story before? Pretty familiar. It's a Sunday school classic, in fact. I don't know whether you guys ever did the colouring in sheets of the disciples with the nets, or you cut out paper fish and put them around the church notice boards, but that's what I remember from this story. It's one of those, it's, a, it's an oldie, but it's a goodie. And of course, if we're at the start of term, and now this really is, the, I know it's not for everyone else, but for the students, this is our first proper Sunday back at the end of Freshers' Week. Perhaps to start off this new year with everybody back, we'll start off with the very beginning of the followers of Jesus, the learners, the students of Jesus being called, as we read in Mark 1. And I think this calling, in a way, I think it sounds like a bit of a laugh, to be honest, because... I kind of picture it like Jesus is strolling down the beach, probably in flip-flops, and he sees a couple of teenagers mending nets at the side uh, by the shore, and, uh, and, he, and he calls out, guys, come follow me, come be learners of my way, come walk the way I walk, come and join me. And I'd imagine at that point that the lads drop their nets, because to be honest, it doesn't sound like a particularly fun job. They're already quite astounded that a teacher of the law would actually ask them to follow him, that a rabbi would say, come be my student, normally it's the other way around. So they drop their stuff, and with their brightly coloured board shorts, olive skin shining in the sun, probably also wearing flip-flops, their surfy hair blowing in the sea breeze, the teenagers start running after the eternal Pied Piper that is Jesus. And as they're carrying on down the beach, oh my word, there's more teenagers and nets. Drop, go the nets. Come, follow me. Of course we will. There's an incredible dance, a conga line of the kingdom down the beach. The come follow me dance has begun. We're all swept up into the journey of discipleship and we dance our way to eternity, bringing in the whole town. Everybody around us comes to join the party because we've met Jesus and we've dropped everything that we were and we've followed him. What an amazing story. The come follow me moment. In fact, I've got a little video clip which I think uh, potentially captures the start of being called to follow Jesus. Isn't that how it starts? Isn't that the come follow me moment? 
and we all join in the dance following Jesus all the way to heaven. And amazingly, without even saying a word, people just know who we've met. People see us and they cannot help but be drawn to us. They cannot help but give, to, but give their lives to Jesus as well, as it's a huge celebration where everybody gets drawn in. So here's the talk that I could give you today. Discipleship is one massive party from start to finish. In fact, you buzz of the conversion experience that you have of giving your life to Jesus, and that buzz lasts you the rest of your days. And if it doesn't, there's a problem. Because this whole thing should be a celebration, right? After all, when one person gets saved, when one person gets swept up into the call of God and gives their life to him, all of heaven celebrates. So isn't this whole thing supposed to be one big party? Is that how it works? Maybe I should give you that talk tonight, because if I give you that talk, then um, we can all leave here dancing, can't we? If today I tell you that we should all be buzzing, we should all leave here dancing about the fact that we know Jesus and our friends will just follow him too, because how can they not? Trouble is, if we leave here dancing, I'm not sure how long we're going to keep it up when we leave this building. How much is it going to feel like an endless party and celebration with all the crowds drawn in when actually you've left G2, a full building of other people that know Jesus, and you're in your workplace? You're in that lecture tomorrow morning. You have to go and do the school run and the kids haven't slept during the night. If we leave here dancing, I wonder how long before you get tired, before you get a bit gutted that it's not quite so buzzing when you're on your own and there's not that many people around you that seem to be dancing too and maybe you're a bit weird. And eventually you get slower and slower, you get tired out until you stop altogether. Yes, the reality of meeting Jesus, the reality of giving your life into the hands of God is a celebration. We get, we get the power of the Holy Spirit, God living within us. It will produce gifts of peace and joy. There will be some amazing overflow effects of carrying around the presence of God in us. That sometimes we will walk down the street differently. And I do pray that even on difficult days, we're walking down the street differently because of who we're following. But I'm not really prepared to give the talk of Discipleship is one big buzzing adventure and mission is an easy overflow effect of that. Because I don't think that's going to last us even till Wednesday. I'd rather talk about the reality. Because the reality of it, when you read that passage again, is actually that a bunch of young lads dropped everything they had, their security, their means of identity, their ambitions, their inheritance their financial security, they dropped their identity to take up a call towards Jesus. And when they did that, we do not read in the passage that everybody's buzzing about it. We don't, leave that their fam- we don't read that their families follow them. We don't read that the town comes out in force for a celebration with a marching band. That isn't what we read in scripture. Jesus turns everything on, these lads, uh, on, 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 the head, on his head for these lads. The moment he says, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. There's a huge world change moment, which is both exciting, but it will also cost them everything. The lads were fishermen, then Jesus totally transformed what that meant and called them to be fishers of men. You save your life and let, you lose your life and yet you save it. 
They lost who they were. They lost everything that they'd grown up in. And yet they gained more. Fishermen to fishers of men. So this is what today's really going to be about. I want to look at what it is we really said yes to if we're sitting in this room having responded to the come follow me of Jesus. What is it that we actually signed up to when we gave our lives away for Jesus, to Jesus, with him forever? What did we sign up to? Do we know that? And secondly, what does that look like to lay down everything that you have, but also take it up again, but flipped on its head, fishermen to fishers of men? What does that look like for you? What does that look like for me? Mission and discipleship, discipleship and mission. What if the whole thing is a little bit more inseparable than we've realised? Let's pray quickly. Holy Spirit, I ask in the name of Jesus that we be aware of your presence amongst us. Power of God, that we will be aware of your presence within us. And I ask, Lord God, that you be nudging us and speaking to us, that you would take my words and drop truth in our hearts, that we would understand more of you, Jesus, more of the call to follow you, and the Holy Spirit, you would empower us to be able to walk out of here different because we've encountered you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting nets into a lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he got a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. And there's two things that I'm going to bring out of this passage. Two things that actually change everything. The first is this. Simply, the word and. Despite popular belief and quotation, Jesus did not say the sentence, come, follow me, full stop. In actual fact, Jesus says, come, follow me, and I will make you, send you, show you how, depending on the translation, to fish for people, to be fishers of men. The and in the call to discipleship actually changes everything. It changes what you're saying yes to, what you're saying that you're called to. And secondly... My second point is, we're not fishers of men. Which sounds a little bit like heresy, and Christian can come and correct me later if he wants, because he has got a dog collar on, so I'll let him. But I just want to point out that I, I unless there is actually anyone here that, that does work in the, in the fishmongery business, anyone a fisherman? Anyone a legitimate fisherman here? No, right. So, um, I, I'm not a fisherwoman, and, uh, and you're probably not a fisherwoman or fisherman in this room. So actually, I want to talk about that whole phrase of being a fisher of men when I'm not a fisherwoman and you're not a fisherwoman or man, and working out what that actually means. If Jesus has called the disciples in their fisherman context, in their life, to be his, what's our context? What's our version of being a fisherman and what does that mean for us today? So that's where we're going. There we have it. The revolution has begun. Jesus said, and, and you are not a fisherman. Now, the disclaimer is, as Gareth said earlier, I am an evangelist. That means uh, it's like a specific God gift that he uh, gives to the church to grow the whole church up into unity and maturity. And particularly as an evangelist, it means I can't help but tell people about Jesus. Like, I love it. Um, mission's always on the agenda in my mind. About I'm always interested when we're in this room going, well, who's not in the room? 
And how can this room and this space full of people that follow Jesus actually just be a big invitation and a door open to everyone out there? So the way I see it is we don't exist for ourselves, but for the people that are yet to meet Jesus. So I know, the disclaimer is, I know that I will preach like that. I know that it's quite obvious that I'll talk about missions because of that. However, I challenge the fact that probably anybody that preached on this passage would have to come up with the same conclusion that clearly... When Jesus calls his first disciples, he is also talking about other people that aren't yet in that conversation. Mission is on the agenda, whether an evangelist is speaking about this or not, because the Bible speaks for itself. And when I read this, I thought it was actually quite interesting, because I wonder whether I realised when I gave my life to Jesus, I wonder whether I was told, even though I was really small, that to follow Jesus, Jesus said, come follow me and... I will send you, help you, make you, teach you to be the mission of God to reach other people. I wonder whether I actually realised that's what I was saying yes to, part of following Jesus. And just in case you think that this passage was just for the first disciples, just for the really early first 12 when he's calling them, brilliantly, as Jesus ends his ministry on earth, in Matthew 28, he leaves us with the same call. Just as at the start, it's come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Come follow me and I'm going to send you out for others. Right at the end of Jesus' physical ministry on the earth, he says, he gives a commission, it's called the Great Commission, to all of his followers, and it's the same thing. Jesus gives the same call again, just to make sure that we don't miss it or think it was just for that little context right at the start. Because he says, all authority on heaven, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Beginning and end of his ministry, Jesus says the same thing to his followers. Follow me, we're going to go for others. Follow me, we're going to go and find others together. Follow me, we're going to reach more. Let's process that for a moment. Just for yourself, for the introverts in the room. Just a moment of quiet and answer this question in your head. Do you know that if you say yes to following Jesus, you are saying yes to being on the mission of God with him too? Did you know that? Now that's a nightmare for the extroverts in the room. So we've got two minutes. Uh, turn to people next to you and you don't have to say anything if you don't want to. Um, just quickly, share with the person next to you, did anybody ever tell you the come follow me and bit? Did you know that by saying yes to Jesus, you become the mission of God with Jesus? Did anybody actually tell you the mission is part of discipleship? Two minutes, share with the person next to you, did you know that's true? I wonder what we were told. I wonder what we were told growing up. I wonder what you came to uni thinking following Jesus was going to look like. There's going to be more time to chat in a minute and get to know each other. I wonder what your answer was. I wonder whether anyone ever quite spelled that out to you before. Because mission isn't an added bonus to our discipleship journeys. It's at the core of who we are as followers of Jesus. Because just as Jesus is the mission of God embodied, God sent himself to the world to make himself knowable to humanity to save us. God is, Jesus is God on a mission. 
The very act of God coming to earth is mission. And therefore, by following Jesus, by hopefully increasingly looking more and more unlike Christ as we walk on this earth, we too should be embodying more and more the mission of God. Um, a while ago, uh, me and Pip, and I can't remember who else was there, but uh, we, we were hanging out one evening at Pip's house um, in Tang Hall, and uh, before I turned up to the house, I went to Sainsbury's, and it was about to close. I'm so sorry that I went to Sainsbury's. Uh, oh, I love Morrison's though. Like, love it. Like, I'm a big fan of Morrison's. So I went to Sainsbury's, and uh, I went to the bargain aisle, and uh, as you do, because it's nearly it's nearly closing time, so it's worth looking out for those stickers. And uh, as I went, I found a massive chocolate fudge cake that probably served about 16, and it was down to two quid, which was an absolute win. Now, I had just eaten dinner, I was in no way hungry, and I didn't actually particularly fancy the cake, but two pounds for a chocolate fudge cake, you don't walk away from that. I'm like a bargain magpie. So I picked it up, went and paid, and I just thought, brilliant, I have no idea what to do with this cake, but it's excellent, so it can only go well from here. So um, I got in the car, and uh, I'm gonna go hang out with Pip and a couple other girls, and um, we park up outside a house and get out of the car, and, uh, and, I, and I get in the back seat and I pull out this chocolate fudge cake and as I'm standing up, I hear a little voice behind me say, oh, I wish I had that cake. <laughs> and, um, and I sort of turn around and I, 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 like classic me, just about to make some sort of awkward joke, like, wait, yeah, it's brilliant, isn't it? And I turn around and there's a guy standing there and uh, he's probably mid-50s, unshaven, scraggly grey hair, long jacket, carrying plastic bags and he's kind of, got a little bit of a cheeky smile on his face, and he's just looking at this cake. And, uh, and I turned to him, and I'm like, it's great, isn't it? It's really good cake. And he was just like, yeah. And then Pip whispers in my ear, give him the cake to him. Give him the cake. And, uh, and, and I'm, a, I'm an obedient child, so I just went, here you go, you can have it. And I, and I just gave this man this cake. And, uh, and that was, he was very, as you can imagine, quite taken aback by this whole situation. So. He was just like, no, no, I, I, oh, I can't take the cake. You know? And I was like, no, seriously, I would, I'd love you to have this chocolate fudge cake. It is for you. I bought it and I didn't know why, and now we know why. Please have this cake. And, uh, and so then we had an interesting conversation about the fact that basically he couldn't quite believe it was free because it's actually radically countercultural to give somebody something just because nowadays, isn't it? Nothing's free. No one randomly gives a stranger a cake fit for a celebration. And uh, so he's holding this cake. His name was um, Adam. He's French-Swiss. And uh, we're having a little bit of a chat. And, uh, and he says to me, there must be a catch. There must be a catch. Uh, and he was like, please, can I give you something in return? He wanted to bake us a, a tarte au citron in return. <laughs> Which I was just like, that's just perfect, isn't it? What a great story. Using it. Uh, and, uh, and I said, no, honestly, I said... Oh, you know what? Uh, he said, why are you giving me this cake? And I said, look, mate, um, I think God loves you. And if Jesus was walking around today, I'm pretty sure he'd give you a cake. So here's a cake. And he said, ah, so there is a catch. And I said, no, 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 honestly. Like, I just want to, just want to, it's for free, it's for free. And then, and then he kept trying to say, look, what can I give you in return? And I said, look, if you're really, if you're really bothered, this is what G2 is. This is our church. This is just down the road. Like, if the only way you could do anything would be just to turn up and grab a cup of coffee with us on Sunday. And uh, I just had an interesting conversation a little bit about what T2 was. And, um, and as we're talking, he says to me, he goes, there's, um, he goes, there's a really strong aroma about you. 
<laughs> Very offensive. <laughs> what? Come on, mate, I get a shower every day. Um, and he said, there's a really strong aroma about you. And he goes, it's not, it's not a bad aroma, but it is strong, like a really strong herb. And as he said this, crazy moment, I was reminded of, um, in 2 Corinthians, chapter 2, verse 14 to 16, the Bible says this, but thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphant procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we're an aroma that brings death, to the other an aroma that brings life. And immediately... I was arrested by the fact that the Bible is very active now, very true today, and those words really happen. And I had no idea. This guy used the words of the Bible to describe coming into contact with a follower of Jesus, and he didn't even know what he was saying. He actually used the word aroma. It was really interesting. So we had this crazy encounter, and I guess it's made, that story makes me remember that... Um, Jesus is more interested in other people meeting him than we are. And if you become a follower of Jesus, even without trying, Christ is looking to help you bring other disciples into the journey too. There is an element there of, if you carry around the power of God in you, things do change. Things do change. And if you're open and obedient to just being you following Jesus, whether you've been super holy in the bargain aisle, or like me and just went chocolate fudge cake, two pounds, yes please, God will use even the giving away of a cake to do that, come follow me and I'll make you fishes of men moment. He'll use you to reach out just by you following Jesus. We're in the mission of God and we are the mission of God just by following him. Come follow me and. However, this is where point two comes in because we're still not fishermen though. We are the mission of God. We are looking to reach out and in fact God is looking to reach out through us whether we really ask him to or not. But I still don't think we're fishermen. So here's the thing. Mission isn't an activity or thing that you do. It isn't an, ev an event that you show up to. It's a person. The person of Jesus. And then as we become mini-Christs, Christians, as we become more and more like Jesus walking around, our whole lives embody the mission of God too. You don't go do mission, you are the mission. Because you've got the missional God living within you. And I honestly feel like at the moment, in, in our context, being a fisher of men, a fisher of women, being a, I think that's quite an unhelpful phrase. Because I don't know about you, but I think it sounds a little bit illegal, like you're trying to catch people. It, it feels like almost you're trying to bait people into being caught into the kingdom. Or like, uh, we don't really have a, the context of the whole community joining in fishing in the same way biblical times did. So I think, you were probably with me on the come follow me Jesus. You're probably like, yes, I will. Even the and, the come follow me and, I will make you help you show you. Yeah, you're probably in on that bit of the Bible as well when I read that. Because at least Jesus said he's going to be with us as he does it. But the fishes of men bit, I wonder whether you just let that bit drop. Do you let that phrase just wash over you? Because it doesn't really apply. It doesn't sound like, I don't really know how to apply that to my life. So fishes of men, yeah, yeah, of course we are. Trips off the tongue, but do we know what it means? I want to follow Jesus, I do want to share him, but I don't want to catch people, bait people. I don't want to be a fisherman. So what does that mean? And I'd like to suggest that the reason Jesus says fishers of men 
It's because of who he was talking to, because he knew by name and he knew the lives of those that he was calling to him. Of course he was going to say fishers of men, because he was talking to fishermen. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into a lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Unless you're actually a fisherman, I'm not sure the point of the passage is that we're called to fish for people. I think the point is that when the king calls you by name and says, I want all of your life, I want you in your context just as you are, but I want you to come to me and I'll flip it on its head and make everything you are, everything you do about me, with me, for me, and through my power. I think that makes sense for our context. That is the mission of God embodied. You were a fisherman, now you're a fisher of men. That's how I'd call a fisherman to follow Jesus. Jesus is a brilliant evangelist. He knows who he's speaking to, and he calls them to lay down their identity and take up his. Brilliant. But we're, we're not fishermen. So, what are we? Two minutes on your table again, and turn to a person next to you, and hopefully they'll be in a different life stage from you, so that we're not just discussing just being students or just being in the workplace. I want you to answer the simple question of if the normal for the fishermen was their everyday context was by the, by the shore, mending their nets, doing their livelihood of fishing, what is your normal? What is, your most, what is the thing you most habitually do every day? What is the most normal place that we can find you doing your normal life? What is that? Share that with the person next to you because that's the context we want to talk about. So what's your normal? What's your fisherman moment? What's your workplace? Where's your sphere of influence? What do you do with your daily life? Are you a student, a parent, a retailer, a manager, a musician, a spouse, a teacher, a nurse, a church leader, an arter, arter? an actor, an artist, a businesswoman, a carer, mathematician, job seeker, volunteer? Where are you? What are you doing when Jesus calls you? What's your normal? What does Jesus say? Hey, fisherman, come follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. Hey, accountant, come follow me and I'll make your work eternally count, one life at a time. Hey, journalist, come follow me. I'm going to make you a writer of people's stories within my bigger story. Hey, businesswoman, come follow me. I'm going to make your business investing in my children receiving their inheritance. Hey, footballer, come follow me. I'm going to make you strike goals that cause heaven to celebrate. <laughs> come on. Hey, artist, follow me and I'll make you paint a picture of the world through my eyes that all might see and know that I am their craftsman. Hey, parent, come follow me and I'll make you a reflection of my parenthood for all people that they might know me as father. Hey, student, come follow me. I'll make you a learner at my university of life to the full and all your classmates are invited. Hey, doctor, come follow me. I'll make you a healer of the broken. Hey, church worker, come follow me and I'll show you how your work happens outside the building. Hey, builder, come follow me and I'll show you how to restore broken connections between humanity and its maker. Are you starting to get the picture? Jesus is calling you to follow him from exactly where you are and what you do. He sees you and he calls you to let go of your life as you know it, to take up a transformed life with Jesus at the centre, where you become the mission of God in your everyday. Jesus asks you to be on the mission with him. When I was a student, I wasn't called to be a fisherman. 
But I was called to share Jesus with students. And what did this look like in practice? Well, it means that in my final year, I turned down living with a house full of all Christians so that I could stay with my mates that don't know Jesus because I didn't feel comfortable about taking the only disciple of Jesus outside of my friendship group. I didn't feel comfortable doing that, so I stayed and lived with my mates. It meant that when I, uh, I was in a long-distance relationship during my first year of uni, and it meant that when the boyfriend came to stay, I had to ask my housemate whether I could stay in her room so that we had separate bedrooms. I didn't make a big song and dance or start preaching on the, the kitchen table about God's high value of sex. I didn't do any of that. All I did was model something different because I am the mission of God embodied. And that spoke volumes by the fact that we were living in community, but we weren't prepared to compromise on God's high value for relationships. What did it mean? Well, it meant in my drama degree, um, sometimes I wasn't prepared to say what the script said. And I get little nudges of the Holy Spirit that just said, honour me, not the script. Which meant I'd have to change the word sometimes. Or I just wouldn't be comfortable with a certain exercise. Being a student to share Jesus with students would also mean that if I left the room sometimes, I knew that some of my course mates would rip me, to part, um, rip me apart when I was gone. There was a group of boys that loved me to my face, hated what I stood for behind my back. I knew that. Being a follower of Jesus... Being a student to share Jesus with students also meant I got to see some of my housemates baptised. We got to do an alpha course in our living room because Jesus was such a normal part of conversation that it just made sense to all gather together once a week and talk about the bigger things of life. Because when Jesus is sitting in the room, when you, carrying the Holy Spirit, the power of God in you, is in the room, things change. Conversation can change. The standard of humour, the way you uh, honour each other, the way you behave in your everyday changes and that will affect the people around you. Did you know that's true for you? If you're a disciple of Jesus, that is true for you as well today. At the start of this journey, I told you about the talk I wasn't going to give. The whole dancing down the road thing and everybody else being swept up into the conga line. Everyone is instinctively joining in without you uttering a word about why. And now perhaps you've recently had a great God encounter maybe in cell during this week. Perhaps you are still buzzing off an experience that you've just had. And in those times, when we do encounter something of God, we almost can't help but overflow and share him. In fact, you meet any new Christian that's met Jesus in the last two months, and you can't shut them up about it. In fact, they keep going, I don't understand why we're not all sharing Jesus. He's amazing. And that's so refreshing to be around people that have just met Jesus, because it reminds us how incredible and how good news this is. But I also told you I wasn't going to preach the party message. I wasn't going to talk about leaving here dancing. I wanted to talk about bringing home the cost of discipleship, which means even on the difficult days, you do just embody the mission of God. When it's hard, when it's easy, when it's buzzing, and when you're on your own, you're still carrying the presence, and it still makes a difference. Come follow me, and I will make you live a transformed life in your workplace, in your family, on your street, in your university. Let me read to you the calling of the disciples one last time. How do you receive this now? As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he'd gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. I pray that today you understand that by taking up the call of Jesus, 
You're saying yes to the and bit. Jesus said and, and you don't have to be a fisherman, but where you live, what you do, your everyday space is transformed because you become the mission of God with Jesus.